Hello, I'm Doug Martin. And I'm Tasha Martin. Together, we share the joy of personal relationship with Jesus, marriage, children, and serving Vision Church in Lake Worth as pastors. Well, as the worship leader, I just want to invite you to come and worship with us. Well, something special happens when you come into the presence of God and His people in worship. As the lead pastor, I want to invite you to a very friendly and warm church that has a vision that it wants to share with everyone, seeing Jesus for us, in us, and through us. We're glad that you've decided to listen to our podcast, and I hope that if you're close enough to visit, you'll come by at 9.45 a.m. on Sunday morning, and after the service, say hello to us in the foyer. We would love to meet you. You can also connect with us at visionchurch.ag, on Facebook at agvisionchurch.ag, and on YouTube by searching for Vision Church Assembly of God. Here's my husband, Doug, preaching a message from Sunday. All right. Thank you, guys, for your ministry during this time of a pause for the offering and so on. Looking around the room, it's so good to see everybody. Looking out on the Internet, good to see everybody. Actually, I can't see you, so don't, don't bother. Some of you are running for a robe or something right now. Don't worry. I really can't see you. <laughs> it is good to have the blanket chips with us this morning on this Palm Sunday. We saw Aaron and, yeah, Matt, that's the other Matt and Jennifer. We have a Matt and Jennifer here and we have a Matt and Jennifer over there. And uh, I've, I found out for the last month they've been fostering, serving as foster parents. That's a, that's a way to, to be salt and light into our society, isn't it? Take these at-risk kids and people who are kids who are really going through it and let them feel what it's like to be in a family that knows the family of God and connected with the family of God. So it's good to have you. We're, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Amen. Looking around, Chano. Good to see Chano. I think he brought some people with him, or maybe they brought him. So we're so glad you're here. Some, some guests of Chano are with us this morning. I'm looking around. There's some other faces that are visiting with us, and we're just so glad. Not just faces, but the whole body's here. And more importantly than that, your spirit and your soul is here, and we pray that God's grace would just intersect with you in a powerful way today as we celebrate this Palm Sunday together. <clears throat> we're looking at Hosanna, Palm Sunday, and we're looking at John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. There in that account is recorded in the book of John, by the way, the triumphal entry is recorded in all four gospel writers. We find it also in the book of John. I want to focus on that account today. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival. What festival was this? The festival of Passover and unleavened bread. This was one of the three times of the year that the Hebrew males were supposed to come and present themselves before the Lord, which meant if at least they came, there were also wives and uh, children that came with them as well. This was required of all the Hebrew males that they would come three times of the year, and this was one of the biggies. This is that great celebration of Passover and unleavened bread, and we see that before they left Egypt, they celebrated a Passover, and he said, if I see the blood, then that death angel will pass over you. And so we're finding just on starting on Friday this week, Passover... And Palm Sunday is intersecting. And so while the entire Jewish Orthodox world is celebrating Passover, we are celebrating Palm Sunday, but also we celebrate the Passover because we know that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that death has no longer hold on us and that He has passed over. Now that's something we're celebrating that's something worth applauding, something to get happy about, is that we are no longer a slave to sin, no longer afraid of death because of the great Passover. And this was done every year to let them know there's somebody coming. There's somebody coming. Let's rehearse this every year. Let's get ready because he's coming. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. 
What a great shout. This is the, the sample shouts that are being echoed from the crowd, and they have derived this directly from the Psalms. They have taken this out of the prophetic scripture that they have heard in the, in the synagogues, and they're making the correlation. They're making the connection. Isn't that wonderful when the light goes on? How many of you have been just sitting there and saying, well, how does this all fit together? And then just have that aha moment where you say, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. And here are the sample shouts, Hosanna. Others are shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And others that are shouting, blessed is the king of Israel. Uh-oh. This is about to run contrary to the entire political atmosphere of Jerusalem. One in which they're deeply intimidated by the Roman Empire, and the other in which they're constantly looking to the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, which are the majority party of the Sanhedrin, and really in charge, looking to them to determine whether or not they get the thumbs up or the thumbs down on this. And they're stepping out boldly and making a, a powerful declaration in a crowd and saying, blessed is the king of Israel. As if that wasn't problem enough. I'm inserting that. That's not in the Scripture. Some of you are looking and saying, my Bible doesn't say that. Now, that's my comment. As if that wasn't enough problem. Jesus found a young donkey. He had his disciples go and get a young donkey and sat on it. Talk about a picture. As it is written in the book of Zechariah, by the way, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, why was that significant? We typically, in the Western world, because of the influence of the Roman, Roman and Greek world, we tend to like to see our generals and leaders seated upon a horse, a steed, right? How many of you remember Shrek? Huh? And in Shrek, you meet somebody by the name of Donkey. Right? And Donkey is voiced by Eddie Murphy. Well, Mike Myers is the voice of Shrek. Does a masterful job. And in one of the later times, there were several iterations of Shrek. They had 2, 3, 4, Shrek 15. I'm not sure which one. But somewhere after the first one, Something happens to Donkey, and he is transformed into a white horse. Beautiful. This is something that a prince would ride upon, someone of great importance. And someone refers to him as a steed. And he says, did you hear that, Shrek? She called me a steed. Love it. Cracks me up. I can. I just. I hear that voice in my head. You know, I have this big, different Pixar characters are living rent free in my head. Now we picture our king coming on a white stallion, and coming in the Greek and Roman tradition of riding in in triumphal entry and declaring their might and their power, and and portraying that power has won the day. But this is not what Jesus does. In fact, you can look at some ancient woodcuts and other paintings, and they don't show Jesus on a donkey. They show Jesus on a steed because it speaks of war and conquering, and people prefer to see Jesus come riding into Jerusalem on a steed. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus is going to ride a steed. But to find that, you need to go to the latter part of the book of Revelation, the 19th, 20th chapter, and you need to see a white horse and he who sets astride him. And upon his thigh and upon his vestures written, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is going to come conquering this earth. He is going to put down all evil, all travesty and all tragedy, and he's going to take his rightful throne. He's going to come on a steed. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? But in this event, and from this event until the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, just be prepared when you see in your mind's eye, in your imagination, that when Jesus comes to you, 
when he comes to me, when he comes to Zion, when he comes to a people, this is how he comes, riding on a donkey's colt. And he's making a statement. He says it expressly when he says this, Come and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. This is a picture of humility. This is a picture that says, I'm just like you. I'm going to find the base form of transportation. For those of you that would imagine in modern days that Jesus would ride in in an H3 limo. Get that out of your minds. He might come in riding a bicycle. In some cultures, he would come riding in a tuk-tuk. In some cultures, he would still be astride, a beast of burden, a donkey. He would come to you in a way that is not ostentatious, not lifted up, not exalted, and reeking with power. But he would come to you, if necessary, in a 1968 Volkswagen bus with uh, flower children logos painted on the side. It might even be a chartreuse microbus. It might be a Volkswagen. It might be a van. It might be a bicycle, a motorcycle, whatever it is. He comes in the terms that we can deal with, that we can handle. He doesn't overwhelm us with his glory and his majesty, though it is rightful. But he comes meek and lowly, and he comes riding on a beast of burden, a donkey's colt. Now, at first, his disciples did not understand all of this. And now we're going to come back and revisit that in just a moment. I've underlined it. We're going to come back in just a moment and dig a little bit deeper. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Now, how many of you, if you saw somebody come out of the tomb after four days, would be pretty impressed? You think you might share that with a person or two? Lazarus was dead, dead. I mean, dead, dead. Dead and gone. He was on the verge of stinking or at the beginning of stinking. And when Jesus came on the scene, they opened up the tomb and he called him forth. And he came out of that tomb, bound head and foot, still with all of the aloes and cinnamon and myrrh and everything that was to overcome the stinkiness. And then Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And there stood Lazarus who was dead and now he's alive. Wow, what a story. Many people, because they heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. How many of you would like to meet that person? Wow. Went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Jealous much? Is this a political problem? Great one. Is this upsetting your apple cart in Jerusalem? In a major way. Everything is poised at a leverage point. It's about to go over and talk about a great reset. The Pharisees can sense it and know it. The Sadducees sense it and know it. The Herodians sense and know it. The leadership of the people, the priesthood, the teachers of the law, everyone understands the implications. If he is really the Messiah, everything should change, must change, shall change. And we either need to get on board or get run over. And they're making the decision that they think they're on the right side, they're on the right train, and they're on the right schedule, and everyone else has somehow missed it. Have you ever felt like the whole world's passed you by? This is a problem, and you're hearing a cry from their heart. Look, this is getting us nowhere. The whole world has gone after him. Why? Because he's the resurrection and the life. He has the answer to the fear of death. He is the king of the whole world. 
He is who he says he is. He is who the scripture has declared him to be. And he's actually here. He is flesh and blood and he's living amongst us. John says we can touch him and can handle him. We see his glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I want to circle back because this is where all of us live. We can't really relate that well to the Pharisee. But we really can relate to the disciples, can't we? At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Do you ever find yourself in the Word of God in a church service, in a circumstance, dealing with the Word of God, and honestly sat there and said, what all's going on here? I know there's more going on than I'm getting a hold of. There's more going on than I'm getting into. There's more going on than I'm receiving. I've got great news for you. Join the crowd of the disciples. They had walked with Jesus for three years. Three years. They spent meals with him. They had seen all the miracles that he had done. They heard the inside baseball discussions. They heard the behind the scenes. Most of our scripture is private discussion that Jesus had with his disciples. Not even the crowds heard it. And after all of that tutoring, after all that time, this is what it says. His disciples did not understand all this. We sometimes feel like turning to our neighbor and saying, are you getting this? Because I'm not. There's more going on here than I can capture. I feel like I'm sitting in front of a fire hose trying to get a sip and a drink. And there's just all of this pressure, there's all of this truth, all of this wonder, all of this glory, and I have such small capacity, I've got great news for you. Just get a drink where you can get a drink. Peter didn't get it. John didn't get it. James didn't get it. They didn't get it. Nathaniel didn't get it. Judah certainly didn't get it. After Jesus was glorified, did they realize, ah, the light began to come on, being filled with the Spirit on that day of Pentecost, and Jesus had promised, he, the Spirit of truth, is going to come be with you. That comforter, that helper, he's going to come, he's going to be with you, he's going to be in you, and he's going to take all of these things I've done, and all these things that I've talked about, and he's going to reveal them to you. He's going to fill in the blanks. He's going to give you aha moment after aha moment after aha moment. And we have this gospel of John written by a man that the light had gone on. The light of the world had appeared to him. He had walked with Jesus. And now reflecting back, he says, now I get it. <laughs> it took me a while, but now I get it. You see, there's hope for us. There's hope for us. This is where we find ourselves on this Palm Sunday. This is where your pastor finds himself on this Palm Sunday. This is where you're situated. If you've just been born again and you've just barely taken your first steps in Jesus, you're at this place. His disciples did not understand all this. But there's great hope and there's great news. After Jesus is glorified, then they realized when Jesus is glorified in your life, then you begin to realize as he reveals himself to you by the power of the Spirit, it begins to click and fall together as the word of God is preached, proclaimed and taught and explained and you receive it and it's mixed with faith inside of you. The light goes on. And one of the great powerful things we can say is not only Hosanna, but aha! Or how about this one? Eureka! I found it. I found it. So, most Christians, just going to give you a list, a word of affirmation this morning. Most Christians, like the crowd in Jerusalem, are only seeing two-thirds of the picture. There's just so much more. Way more than meets the eye. You can't exhaust it. You could go to church every day, eight hours a day, and pray for three and you would find yourself every day saying, what more is going to dawn on me tomorrow? What more is the Lord going to show me? Because he is inexhaustible. There is so much more there than meets the eye. There is such depth, such breadth, such height, such width. There's such dimensionality outside of this world that is packed into this tight little package of the physicality of Jesus and his disciples, and it requires the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to begin to unpack it, to release it, and let it become powerful in our life. 
Jesus came on that day, first of all, as a prophet. He had come and had been born as a prophet. Everybody say prophet. Prophet. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the ultimate word of God. Later, the inspired writer of the book of Hebrews would put it this way. First chapter. God who in various and sundry ways in the past has spoken to us through the prophets, now speaks to us through his Son. There's a parable that Jesus had related in the presence of those Pharisees who said, look, we're losing our grip and the whole world's going after him. They said this in panic. Jesus tells a parable one day, and he says, you know what? There was a man who owned a field, and he leased it out. But every year, there needed to be either a percentage of the crops or some sort of cash payment or exchange to pay for the rent. And so he sent different messengers to collect, and you know what they did to them? They took them and beat them, sent them away, shamelessly used, and some of them they even killed. But then he said to himself, the landowner said, look, they've disrespected the servants of my house. They've disrespected people that I hired to come with a message. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son, and surely they will respect him. And he said, he came and they took that son and said, ah, here is the heir to all of this. Let's take him and kill him. And we will take the inheritance. And then there's a parenthetical statement. Sometimes it appears in Scripture as parenthesis, and otherwise it's just stated there. And the Pharisees knew that he was talking about them. Wow. You can't say that they were ignorant. They willingly and knowingly knew that Jesus was saying something. God spoke to you through prophets, but now he speaks to you through his Son. The very Word of God has come. Genesis chapter 1 begins with the Word of God, and John chapter 1 begins with the Word of God, and the book of Hebrews tells us that this is God's ultimate Word. Jesus the Christ in human flesh so that we can hear Him, so that we can touch Him, so that we can handle Him. He speaks to us in the context and into the context of our everyday life. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the ultimate word of God. He had warned them. He said, I'm not going to die outside of Jerusalem. He puts it this way. Much to the chagrin and the horror of his disciples, who, by the way, do not yet understand what this is all about. They do not yet have the Holy Spirit. All the aha moments they're going to have have not yet happened, even though they're with Jesus. He's struggling to give them aha moments. He's constantly explaining things, and their answer is, do you get that? And Peter's like, absolutely, yes, I get it. Well, then, what does this mean? I have no idea. What should we do about that, Philip? Send them, send them to the villages to get some food. Jesus is constantly testing these companions of his, and he's looking for an aha moment. Now, aren't you glad there are some aha moments that puts a smile on Jesus' face? He says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He gets it. You're the Son. You're the Word of God. You're the one who has come to speak to us. And he says, man, you are blessed. Aha moment! We've had a breakthrough. You can almost see Jesus dancing a jig around the campfire. Woo! Peter had a moment. Woo! He says, okay, now, now that you got that aha moment, are you ready for the other shoe to drop, Peter? Yes, yes, I am. Lay it on me, because I'm on a roll now. Now the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the leaders and the Pharisees, and be crucified and raised on the third day. And Peter goes, hallelujah, 
That's wonderful. You're the Savior of the world. It makes sense that you go and die. No, that's not what Peter said. Can you see that little light bulb just go smash? Suddenly, Peter is plunged into darkness again, and he goes, are you kidding me? If you die, we don't get new offices in the temple. Why do you think we've hitched to your wagon? You're the king of Israel. You're the Messiah. Let's go, and let's kick the Romans out, and let's see the kingdom of David established once again. Woo! No way. In fact, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from going to Jerusalem and dying. How's this for a deflator? Get behind me, enemy. You desire the things of men, not the things of God. Boy, that will smash your light bulb. That will just take your aha moment and throw it off the cliff. Jesus took that, put it under the bus, and drove over it twice. Peter distinctly heard the backup horn as that bus backed over all of his dreams and plans for Jesus. Jesus comes as the prophet, and he says, I must go to Jerusalem because he says, no prophet dies outside of Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem and he says, you know what? The blood of righteous Abel all the way through Zechariah, the son of Bacah, who died between the porch and the altar, their blood will all be required of this generation. This same Jesus, as a prophet, comes up to the hill and sees that glimpse. And it's a wonderful glimpse. If we ever get a chance to go, I don't know how this will all work out. I may never physically get to go to Jerusalem again, short of in my glorified body. Because we are going to rule and reign from there. That's part of our future. But I like to go there now. And there is something spectacular about coming over the hill of the Mount of Olives. And as you come over that hill seeing the city of Jerusalem spread out, the ancient walls, and seeing the Temple Mount. You can look down into the city walls and see the ancient city of Jerusalem, and every pilgrim who ever crested that hill from Jericho, as soon as they come up over the hill, it was like, wow. They wondered if again they would ever see Jerusalem. Just the apple of God's eye. Jesus comes over that hill, And he begins to cry a lament as a prophet of God. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks around her. But you would not. Because you did not know the day of the visitation of your salvation, your house will be left to you desolate. Wow. It's in that context that we read the 24th chapter of the book of Matthew. About the 18th or 19th chapter, I think, of the book of Luke and other accounts in the Gospels that make reference to this destruction of Jerusalem. Why was Jerusalem destroyed? Because the Pharisees said, there goes the world. There goes our world. If we accept what he's saying, if we accept him as a prophet of God, It means everything must change. Our world must change. And we don't like that price, thank you very much. And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the ultimate word of God. But, like many prophets before him, he's destined to die in Jerusalem. Why? Because they don't like his words. Does that sound familiar? Talk about living in cancel culture. The people who want to kill you because of what you have to say. It's not enough just to simply disagree. They don't have an honest disagreement. Say, we don't understand, Lord. Could you talk to us more about that? We're not quite on the same page with you. No, do you notice that every time the Pharisees lose an argument, they go and decide together how they're going to kill Jesus? That spirit has not left. Do you see it? It's still in our culture. It's all around us as believers, people who it's not enough to simply say, you know, I don't see eye to eye to you. Can we talk about that more? Can we maybe find it? Maybe there's places we actually agree and we just don't understand that we agree. Sometimes even couples have to do that because of their different perspectives. And then they come to an understanding through communication and they say, okay, now I get it. 
It's not what I was thinking. Okay, I can understand that. But Jesus, they're plotting against him because he is the voice of God. He is the voice of God to his generation, and he speaks to them as the word of God. There's somebody else riding in that day. There's the priest. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the new Melchizedek. Wow. We see a couple verses scattered between Genesis and Psalm. We hear this talked about in the book of Hebrews, and we wonder, how can you have like five verses scattered through Psalms and Genesis, and that's God's hint to the priest that's going to come to Jerusalem? You know what's neat is Melchizedek actually was the king of Jerusalem. The ancient city of the Jabez stronghold, the old Salem, the king of Salem was Melchizedek. He was both priest and king. He appears for a brief moment and intersects with Abraham, the father of faith. Then he disappears. He appears again in the writings of the Psalms. And then we hear nothing more about him. All we hear through the Torah and the prophets is the priesthood under Aaron, the Zadok priesthood, the Abiathar priesthood, the good priesthoods and the bad priesthoods that, that follow in the lineage of this, this great high priest Aaron and his sons after him who led that priesthood according to the book of Leviticus. But when Jesus rides in that day, remember, the people didn't realize everything they were seeing. It was going to take later when Jesus was glorified and the Holy Spirit was poured out and understanding could be multiplied in them. We see that there is a priest that's riding into Jerusalem, the new Melchizedek. And here's what Jesus does right after he rides in. He curses a fig tree. What's he saying? I don't need this priesthood anymore. You see, when there's a new eternal priesthood that comes into town... When Melchizedek comes back, when the great high priest that has been appointed by God before Aaron returns, it's not necessary any longer to have Aaron in charge in the temple. Now, don't you know that sounds like unemployment? If you're part of the Kohathites, if you're part of the Aaronic tradition, which extends back now a thousand years plus, how many of you know that a millennium is a lot of history? United States of America, 200 years plus. But what happens when you can go back and give your job description from scriptures and go back over a thousand years to do it? It's really hard to give that up. It's really hard to recognize the new day. They can sense what it means. If God is doing a new thing, if God is going to build a new temple, then that means there's a new priest on the job. And let me tell you about the nature of this priest. He never dies. Now, if he never dies, that means he doesn't retire. Now, right now, the only place we can relate to in our society is the judgeships. There are several judgeships, federally and statewide, that are given for life. And people, because they can't vote, pray for the death angel to go visit judges. I'm not advocating that you do that. But when a judge acts unjustly for a long period of time, it's like, we just have to wait till this one comes to the end and shuffles off the mortal coil, and then someone else gets appointed in there, and we really hope that this was a good one because we're going to be stuck with this one until he dies. Now, how, try it if they're, they're not killable. Jesus said, Behold, I am he who was dead, and now I am alive forevermore. As Jesus rides in on the back of that donkey, meek and lowly, coming as one amongst the people, he yet he rides in as the great high priest. There's a new priesthood, which means there's a new temple. We don't need this new temple anymore. Is it any wonder that Jesus begins to tell his disciples right after this triumphal entry, into Jerusalem, he begins to tell them about the destruction that's coming to Jerusalem. Why? We don't need this temple anymore. 
because I'm here as the new high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and I represent the temple in heaven, and my blood goes in and covers all sin in the very presence of God, and now I am the great and faithful high priest, which means we have direct access to Jesus and through Jesus to the Father, and because of his blood and because of his intercession, we can stand before the holy God of the universe. Give the Lord a hand clap. The priest rides in. But wait, there's more. Not only is he prophet and priest, and some of this you heard last year. I'm coming at it from a different uh, perspective here, and you'll see in just a moment why that is. King. Now, what was the most obvious thing that the people could connect with? Zechariah's prophecy. Behold, your king comes riding, meek and lowly before you on a donkey, even the foal of a donkey. And what does Jesus do when he hears them cry? Hosanna, blesses he is, comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the king of Israel. Do you know what he says? You got that right. Just like he said to Peter, aha moment. I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. You're getting a hold of this great prophecy, Peter. Did he have a perfect grip? No, because it fumbles right out of his hand a couple verses later. Doesn't that sound just like you and I? Just when we say, I got it, whoop, it slips out. It's like a, catching a greased pig sometimes. It's like a football that's wet, covered with moisture in the rain or in the snow or, or touched with ice. And it's all you can do to get a grip on it. And the tighter you try to grip it, the more likely it is to slip through your fingers. But what does he do? He doesn't say, oh, wait a minute now. You're probably coming at this that I'm going to replace the Herod. And let me, let me give you an understanding here. No, he doesn't. What does Jesus do? Has his disciples bring the foal of the donkey. And then he gets on it in front of God and everybody and rides into Jerusalem. What is the most obvious picture that they see? One third of the picture they see. They get it. But even that picture is fuzzy because he's not coming as he told Pilate. Look, if I was trying to establish my kingdom here from the earth, I would bid my servants to fight and they would fight. That's not what Jesus says to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. But he's still king. He comes in in fulfillment of the book of Zechariah and Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the son of David. One of those key moments that occurs as he's coming towards Jerusalem for the very last time. He comes through the community of Jericho. This is recorded in the book of Luke, at least the book of Luke. And as he comes through Jericho, he encounters a blind man. In Matthew, it's recorded as two blind men. And what do they cry? Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, what does Jesus say? Well, you know, that could really create some political uproar in Jerusalem and really make life uncomfortable for me if I responded to that and affirmed it by actually doing something for you as king. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He calls that man to him. He throws down his cloak, and Jesus ministers to him. And what happens? He leaves that place with Jesus shouting, and weeping and rejoicing because he was blind, but now he can see. And he has joined this crowd. Not only is there a group of people who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, but blind Bartimaeus, the son of the timid one, in the streets of Jericho, is part of this crowd. And he knows something. I've got eyesight that tells me he's the son of David. He is the king. He is the rightful inheritor of the throne of Israel. Now, how many of you know if you're Herod, that gives you heartburn? Wait a minute, I bought this. Wait a minute, I negotiated with the Romans to be established here as a vassal king, even though I have very little or no Jewish blood in my veins. I'm the vassal king. I'm the head of Israel. Who do you think you are coming? And the people lifting their voices together and saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the king of Israel. You know what, folks? They were right. They were right. He represented and represents a promised kingdom. 
And he is the promised king. God had made a promise to David. One shall not fail to sit upon your throne. Read the book of Psalms and hear the promises that God gave a man after his own heart. An imperfect man who was unable to recognize and understand everything that God was speaking to him, but nevertheless wrote Psalms and songs and jotted it down and left notes behind that we can look at and say, wow, look at this man. There was stuff he was talking about that sounded like he was out of his head. Don't you know there's people around us that think we're out of our head? We're crazy believing stuff like that. But he represents a promised kingdom and a promised king. What, did he, what was the model prayer he gave his disciples? After this manner, pray therefore, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to tell you, folks, it's really hard to have a kingdom without a king. But we have Jesus, the King of all kings, and the Lord of lords. I can refer back again to that scene painted for us in the latter chapters of the book of Revelation. Upon his thigh and upon his vesture are written these names, King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm here to tell you some great news. We can shout Hosanna. We can sing Hosanna because we know the King. And his name is Jesus. Would you give him a hand clap this morning? Jesus was rejected as prophet and priest and king. Here's how John puts it. One of the saddest verses in all of the Gospels, and it's found in chapter 1, I believe, verse number 12. And he came to his own, and his own received him not. There's not a period there, though. You ready for some good news? Let's, let's stop and recognize the first part of that passage. What is that? That's sad news. He came to his own. His own received him not. Jesus would say in the context of being a prophet, there is, not, there is a prophet without honor, ex- there is no prophet without honor except amongst his own kinsmen and with his own family. Jesus knows this pain of being rejected as the prophet of God by his village, by Nazareth, by his family who struggle with this. Jesus was rejected as prophet, priest, and king. Whether they recognized it or not, they rejected him. But let me finish that verse. But to as many as received him, to them. And by the way, the them is Jew and Gentile. Doesn't matter if they're in the household of Israel or in the household of Ham and Japheth, the descendants of Noah. He is the Savior of the whole world. He was entering into Jerusalem, but there were Gentiles there also joining their voices with them and talking about this one who is the Savior of the world. Philip meets them, and Philip wants to introduce them to Jesus. They're Gentiles who are in Jerusalem and join their voices with this cry. He came to his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Jesus is still making triumphant entrances today. (laughs) Let me say that one more time. Jesus is still making triumphant entrances today. Anyone who will receive him, anyone who will lift their voice and say, Barak Hashem Adonai, anyone who will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, anyone who will receive Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah, the anointed one. And let me tell you how he's anointed. He's anointed as prophet, priest, and king. The offer still stands. Today is the day of salvation, which means Jesus is still riding the donkey. Jesus is still coming, not on a steed of war, but on an approach of humility to every one of us right where we are. And he is coming as the prophet of God, the voice of God, the message of God, the word of God. I'm telling you, there's no other word other than Jesus. So I have a question for you before we pray. When you think about that prophet, do you need a right now word from God? How many of you need a word of guidance? You're stuck somewhere and you need some wisdom that will get you out of there. You're crying out to the Lord for salvation. You're finding yourself between a rock and a hard place. And here's what you need. 
you need a sure word from God. You need the Holy Spirit to grab his highlighter and take a passage and underline it and highlight it for you. You need somebody to ring your phone, email you, and speak to you in the lobby or somewhere. You need to hear it preached in a sermon or shared in a study, but you need a word from God. I've got great news for you. Jesus rides in on the donkey. He's anointed, dripping with the anointing of the word of God. He has a word for you right now. In just a moment, we're going to pray over that. He's the priest. Do you need a sympathetic representative before God and against your enemy? Are you finding yourself in condemnation, weighed down with sin, carrying a heavy load, and you know it's because of your sense of guilt and injustice before God? Great news. The high priest has come and shed his very blood for you, and now he can offer to you every gift of God and can offer you as a gift to God. Isn't that awesome? He's anointed as the priest, the king. Do you need somebody to take charge and lead you into paths of righteousness? Do you need somebody? Do you need to quit being the pilot and slide over to the co-pilot seat? Some of us still have a tendency to grab the controls and we need to get in the back seat. Put the seatbelt on and take our hands off the controls and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to become the captain. I need you to take the lead position here. And I, you lead, I will follow. I need your anointing as the king. I need to say, my kingdom, forget it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is still making triumphal entries today. Now, here's how I want us to respond before we pray. It's very simple. As I say this, how many of you are sitting there and saying, you know, out of those three, I need Jesus the prophet. I need the anointing of the prophet. I need a right now word from God for guidance. I need to hear a word from God of affirmation. I need to hear an anointed word from God. If that's you, I want you to stand right where you are. Say, that's what I need. I need Jesus to enter into my situation right now. I need him to come on that donkey, and I need him to come into that circumstance. I'll give you a second just to stand. I need that word from God. I need Jesus, the prophet, to come and speak into my life. I need that word that pierces through the darkness sets me free, gives me clarity. I need that word. You're, stand, you're not quite standing yet, but some of you are going to feel like standing on the second one, and you already are, and that's fine. Some of you want to get up for all three. How about this one? You need a sympathetic representative before God. You're dealing with condemnation. You're struggling against something the enemy's trying to pull off in your life. You're struggling with condemnation. You're struggling over against sin. You are, you are needing also to present yourself before the Lord, and you just want some gifts to be released from your life. If that's you, just stand right where you are. I need the priest. I need the anointing of the priest. I need to see the whole picture here. I really need Jesus the priest come in right into my life on that donkey meek and lowly not ostentatious but coming and easily received some of us can say i need jesus really number one i really need jesus as king i need him to take charge i need to relinquish some reins of control over to him i need to submit to him i need to say not my will but yours be done if that's you you stand to your feet some of you're saying i'm threefold standing that's me I need a triumphal entrance into my life of Jesus, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And I just want to pray over you right where you stand right now. Lord, we're standing in your presence. We're standing before you, before our friends, before our enemies, before our great enemy of our soul. We're standing to our feet and we're doing so, Lord, in response and in faith. And we're making a statement. We're saying, Lord Jesus, here I am. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, I need you to come by your spirit. I need you to come and speak in my life. I need Jesus the prophet, anointed so heavily by God. I need that prophetic anointing over my life. I need you to come with a word. Lord Jesus, my great and faithful Melchizedek high priest, I need you to come on that donkey and I need you to make an entrance into my life. I really need a triumphant entrance into my life. 
I need some intercession. I need some victory. I need some spiritual victory. I need some forgiveness. I need a sure word of prophecy to come to me, but I also need somebody to stand in the gap for me. And Jesus, I know that you pray and intercede. I need your priesthood. Lord Jesus, you're the King of glory. You're the Prince of peace. And you're the Son of David. I need your leadership. I need your rulership. I need you to stand up. I need you to make a triumphal entry. And I need you, Lord, to be seated upon the throne of my heart. I need you to rule and reign in my life. I need to give things over to you. And I want you, the King, the Son of David, I want you to rule and reign in my heart. I'm going to cry out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, I want to raise up hands to you. Here's my palms. I raise them before you, and I'm saying, come. Right on in. I'm going to lay some cloaks down. I'm going to lay some prayer cloaks down. I'm going to lay some burdens down, and I'm just going to ask you to tread upon them and walk upon them and treat them like pavement, and I'm inviting you to come into my life in a powerful way, into a triumphant entry as prophet, as priest, as king. Thank you for still being willing to make entrances today. Ride into my Jerusalem, I pray. Come into this city of Zion. I don't want to miss the day of my visitation. I don't want to be surrounded by enemies and besieged. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good, and I want to drink from the well of salvation that you are anointed to offer. Lord, I receive you as my prophet, the Word of God, as my priest, my intercessor before the eternal God, and my king, the rule and reign over my life. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said. We hope that you've been touched by God's grace. As you've listened to our podcast today, we'd love to hear your response via email. And the address is podcast at visionchurch.ag podcast at visionchurch.ag and if you're in the area and don't have a church home we'd love for you to come and visit us personally we're located at 4024 dakota trail in lake worth texas we together have a vision seeing jesus for us in us and through us